everybody to our brand new series, Home Run. And you guys, I'm so excited because this weekend, uh, in all of our services, we have with us a special guest, Pastor Kevin Myers, who is the author of the book, Home Run, that our series is based off of. And so, Pastor Kevin... Yeah, this man, we're awesome. just pumped that you are here. Yeah. Pastor Kevin has become a great friend of mine over the last couple, of, a really good friend of mine over the last couple of years, and uh, I'm just You kidding. know what, that they was did, a pretty shameless ploy on they the old I, God of the underdogs, since we oh, get uh, to say, well, well, did anybody, I didn't catch it, did you catch it? I caught it. Now, we've done the series, and some say we did the series better than you, but actually, they loved your material, so it was really, <laughs> Thank you. It was really well, good. Well, that was well, a great That's series. why we're doing your so, series yes. on your book. Yeah, I'm actually so, here anyway, to do it better than I did. It's true. Well, yeah. Pastor Kevin uh, is the, the lead pastor of 12 Stone Church in Atlanta, Georgia. They have nine campuses across Atlanta area and uh, 18,000 people in regular attendance at their church, so they get multi-site. They get the vision uh, like we do of reaching lost people, people that are far from God. So you guys, without further ado, come on, put your hands together. Welcome, Pastor Kevin Myers. Love you, brother. Love you. And I have to tell you what a joy it is for me to be here. You probably know this, but I'll just check. Do you know that you have a great church here at Next Level? Do you know that? I, I'm not sure. Do you know this? Not, you may think everybody gets church like this. Everybody gets to experience the power of God like you do. And that is not true. This is a great place to not only form your faith, but to raise up a family. Now, I, I have fallen in love. We, we really do enjoy Pastor Matt and Sarah. We, we prefer Sarah. But that said, uh, <laughs> but we, we enjoy them. And I don't know if you know this. This is a serious moment. Do you know that you have one of the premier pastoral couples in this country? Do you know that? Do you know that you have incredible leadership here at this church? Every reason to be grateful. And, and we're here to have a, a bit of a conversation together, so let's just start right off the top. How many of you have ever in your entire life at some point have ever either played kickball, wiffle ball, baseball, softball, hands, let me across, cross campuses and gateway? Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and we all know that what we want more than anything else is a home run because the alternative is strike out. And, and, and nobody wants that. And that brings us right to life. In fact, we're going to have four questions that will absolutely transform your life. And the first one is from that question of home run. What does it mean to have a home run life? How, how, what's a home run kind of dream? Because as soon as we say it, you know you want one. But what is one? What does that look like in life? I know what it looks like on the field. What does it look like? in life. So I've thought about this. What are the elements? I'm going to jot these down. If you're a note taker, feel free to follow along. I'm just going to jot some of these down. I think there are at least four elements. And I'm going to give you the first one, which I think is fairly obvious, and that is success. I think we all kind of understand that when it comes to wanting a home run type of life, one of the elements is success. That is to say that, that, that you wanted to have some kind of a accomplishment in sports. You wanted to achieve in career. You imagined someday that you would rise up and, and you would accomplish something significant. In fact, because we all inherently know this, whether it's financially, materially, career-wise, why we all kind of know this, 
It's what gives credence to one of my favorite commercials back at Super Bowl 33. It was from Monster.com. And I want you to just watch this for 30 seconds and you'll get the point. It's all based on the backhanded sarcasm of what we really aspire to and what we don't. Check it out. When I grow up, I want to file all day. I want to claw my way up to middle management. Be replaced on a whim. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes sir. Coming sir. Anything for a raise sir. When I grow up. When I grow up. I want to be underappreciated. Be paid less for doing the same job. I want to be forced into early retirement. And now... Now you know why that's one of my favorite commercials. Are you kidding? Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> Nobody aspires to strike out in life. Everybody aspires toward success. But stay with me. Success is too small to be a life dream. You've thought about, dreamed of more. Whether you've ever thought about it or not, I think you've imagined that you would have someone I think that if you now take a moment, you'll say, well, that's probably true. When you dreamed of the life you would have someday in what could be a home-run kind of life, you, you imagined that there would be a, a, a person maybe you'd marry, or maybe you'd have kids. You imagined that you would do life with friends. You imagined you'd have great coworkers, maybe teammates. You, you always imagine, in fact, when you, when you think of anybody trying to demonstrate and give evidence of them having an awesome life, there's always somebody else with it. Why? Because, listen, success without someone is hollow. We all kind of know that. Now, maybe you've never thought about it before. But the elements of a home run kind of life are not only success in someone, but there's something else, whether you've ever thought about it or not. And, and I'll put it this way. I'll call it self-respect. You may have never put that word together. You may have never attached it to having a home run kind of life. But listen, you always imagined that you could look in the mirror without dropping your eyes. Someone who is self-led. See, if you can't respect you, you're in trouble because everywhere you go, there you are. <laughs> and if you can't respect yourself, it's a miserable life. You may have never thought about it before, but elements of a home run kind of life would be success and someone and self-respect, and I think there's one more. We'll just call it significance. You may not choose to use that word, but I think the concept is true. I think you would confess that more than wanting to merely make a dollar, you want to make a difference. You want your life to count. At the core of your being, you ultimately want your life to be marked for something that matters. Hey, that's a pretty good life dream, isn't it? Success, someone, self-respect, significance. But stay with me. Very few people get all of those. Most of us just get one or two. And that was the experience of Luis Ramos, a guy who eventually became a friend of mine, but he was sitting in a room kind of like you are today. I was having the conversation about what makes for a home-run kind of life. Listen in on just a slice of his story. 
My name is Louis Ramos and I'm uh, 44 years old. I've been married to my high school sweetheart for almost 25 years. You know, I find myself uh, in one place in, in business and, and family and relationships uh, that, you know, thank God today is, is you know, really great and, and, and very fulfilling. Um, it wasn't always that way, however. I had made my life about having more, getting more, making more, and achieving more. Everything else was falling apart around me. Uh, my marriage was falling apart. I barely knew my children. I told myself that it was for everybody else, so I said, oh, I'm doing this for my family. I'm gonna you know, make sure that I set us up for a great life. That's nonsense, it's not true. I really loved the feeling that I got from success, and it was addictive. I just needed a clean break and to start all over. I told my wife that I had made a mistake and that we were uh, really not meant to be together. On a Sunday in early October, uh, my wife was going to church with the kids and, and I decided to join them uh, really to keep up appearances. It just so happened that it was the first day of a you know multi-week series on the home run life. I sat there and I was intrigued by the production, but what really caught me was Kevin starting to tell the, the, the home run life story, the parable. And that's where things began to change for Lewis. We had a rather candid conversation. What does it look like to have a home run life? And what he discovered, as well as many of you might discover, is that no one's ever told you how God grows us up. And we're going to step into a story the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. If you're one of those who follows along, we'll jump into the second question. What can we learn from Joseph's story? Now, Joseph lived a long time ago, thousands of years ago, and you can find a story in Genesis chapter 37 through the end, chapter 50. You can go read that on your own if you get interested, if you don't know the story, but I'm gonna highlight the story. I'll catch everybody up if you don't know the story, and if you do, this will sound familiar. Joseph was about 17 years old when he had a vision of sorts. We'll just call it a dream from God. It was an awesome vision for him. He was a young man. Now, here's what's significant to know. Joseph's dad was Jacob. His, his grandfather was Isaac. His great-grandfather was Abraham. So this is the emergence of the nation of Israel. Rather, rather significant. His dad, Jacob, his name was eventually turned into Israel, was changed to Israel. So that's where Israel gets their name. His father was highly influential, very affluent. And of all his older brothers that Joseph had, which he had many older brothers, about 10, he had a younger brother, all of them together made up which eventually became known as the names of the tribes of the nation of Israel. Now that you know that in quick background, let me tell you about Joseph. Joseph had this vision, this dream from God, and it was awesome because when he had the vision, he already knew he was important to his earthly father because he had a coat of many colors. He was called a favorite of his earthly father. The other brothers didn't really care for that, but you could see him strutting around in his coat of many colors. Now, here's what happens. He gets a vision from God, and imagine this. He's got his coat of many colors on, and he walks up to his brothers after a vision from God, and he said, guys, brothers, guess what? This is so good. I'm already dad's favorite, which is obvious from my coat. You don't have one? No, I know. It's okay. But guess what? I must be the Heavenly Father's favorite too. He gave me a vision. Has he given you guys one? No? 
No, nobody other, no, nobody else got a vision, just me. Okay, well, anyhow, guess what? Guess what's happening in the vision? I'm standing, and all of you are bowing. Uh, yeah, awesome. I know, it's so exciting. Hey, by the way, when you have a vision for your life, and you're standing, and everyone else is bowing, nobody's excited. <laughs> just FYI. Well, neither were his brothers, but this came from God. And so now Joseph's convinced at the core of his being that because God gave it to him and because God's in it, listen very carefully, because God gave it to him and God's in it, the next thing that should happen is he should be standing and everybody should be bowing. If you read his story a little further, that's not what happens next. What happens next is he gets thrown into a pit. Now, I want everybody campuses, everybody here, listen, I want you to say the word pit with me on the count of three. He got thrown into the one, two, three, the what? Pit. pit. How many of you ever been in the pits? Well, of course you have. Here's what happened. His brothers decided we have to do something with this Joseph, the big-headed, coat of many colors, younger brothers driving us nuts. And so what they decide to do is that they took his coat, they cut it up, they put ram's blood on it took it home to dad and said, dad, this looks like Joseph's coat. His dad's like, ooh, this is his coat. Now, of course, that was pre-DNA, so, you know, they couldn't have figured it out. But, but now dad thinks Joseph is dead, and they sell him into slavery, never to be seen again, or so they thought. And they said, let's see what comes of his dream. Now, you're Joseph, and instead of rising up, you're in the pits. You get thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery, and off to Egypt, he goes. Have you ever been in a place where you wondered, what on earth is God doing? Have you ever been there? You've just been in a place in your life where I think God's against me. <laughs> when we planted 12 Stone Church, moved from Michigan down to Atlanta, Georgia, we didn't know anybody. We started the church. I thought we would have an awesome opening. I rented a 440-seat theater we had 104 people. You might think that was good. It was a little below my expectations. However, I want you to know that in the next four years, I took it from 104 to 82 because I'm just that good. <laughs> I know some of you aren't that good. Pastor Matt and Sarah, they're not that good. They started with a little 35 people, and they kept growing it by the end of the first year. So they had over 80 people, and it kept going. They can't do what I did. They don't have this story because they're just not that good. But I'm not good. And we're about four years in, and I've grown it down to 82 people. I'm not sure if you know how to do math, but it's not good. We were personally bankrupt coming into the fourth year. And I'll never forget what I would call one of the worst days of my life. After we'd lost our health insurance, after my kids ended up in Eggleston Children's Hospital, my daughter at two years old, and my son with a specialist with asthma. And I went in more debt. And I sat down with my wife. I locked eyes with her, and I said, Honey, I need you to go back to work. And I know that we agreed that as soon as the kids come, you, you won't have to go back to work. But if you don't get back to work, this church is done. 
And this isn't your problem, it's just mine. It was one of the most humiliating days of my life. I just wondered, God, now where are you? What was God doing? You know, I think what I couldn't see in the day, and maybe what you can't see right now, is that what God was doing in us is the same thing he was doing in Joseph. He was trying to help us win dependence. Jot that down. To help us win dependence. Now, I don't know what you see, but I see black and blue. Some of you might see gold and white. What I can tell you is this. My wife saw gold and white. I saw black and blue. And I told her, of course. If you see black and blue, you have the gift of leadership. If you see gold and white, you have the gift of shopping. I don't know if that's true. I just, I just said that. I just. He was helping Joseph win dependence. Now, stay with me on this for a moment because I think you'll need to know how God grows you up because he stripped Joseph of everything Joseph would have used to make the vision of God happen. I want you to hear that. He stripped him of his family name. He stripped him of his family influence. He stripped him of his coat of many colors. Listen, he stripped him of everything he would have used to bring about the purpose of God in his life because you cannot accomplish God's purpose on your power and God won't loan his power for your purpose. It's a huge lesson in life. In fact, I think the reason many of us really never grow up spiritually is because we grow up humanly, physically, in just the opposite. Watch this. Here's, here's what I mean. How do we grow up in this physical, material, human world? You move from dependence to what? Independence, right? Isn't that how you grow up? I mean, God gives you little kids. We have four, and God gives you little kids, and they're so adorable. They're so, you just fall in love. In fact, God, in elementary years, makes your kids so adorable, you cannot imagine them leaving. And then God lets them become teenagers so that you can't imagine them staying. <laughs> right? It's just the kindness of God. And, and so, so what happens is you figure out that when they're born, they're entirely dependent. Yeah? And, and, and then you're trying to, over time, move them to what? Independence. That's how you grow up. The reason many of us have never experienced or understood the unique dynamic of how you grow up spiritually is because spiritual growth is the exact opposite. You grow from independent. In fact, that's where some of you might be. You're just checking out faith. Maybe you're visiting at Next Level Church. Someone invited you. You're not even sure what you believe or if you buy in. You might think they're a little weird. You might think they're awesome. (laughs) But where you are is independent. It's where we all are. We're born in sin. And the process of growing spiritually is moving from independence to what? Dependence. And John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine. You are the branch. Jesus is teaching this to help us understand how we were designed. I'm the vine. You are the branch. If a man or woman remain in me, depend on God, you will bear much fruit. But apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing that really matters. Now, I want to keep taking you through layers of Joseph's life just briefly. In that moment, I think he was learning 
dependence. But there's another segment of his life we'll just tap into. This is where he learned to win within. To win within. Let me see if I can make sense of this. Joseph had now been a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was over the military for Pharaoh, the most powerful nation of the day. And Potiphar allowed this Joseph kid that he bought as a slave to rise up in leadership because Joseph was quite sharp. Joseph had been a slave for now five to seven years. He was somewhere between 23 to 25 years of age, maybe thereabouts. And he had a moment where Potiphar's wife made an indecent proposal. And now we often dismiss that. Well, how difficult could it be? He was 22 to 25. No chance or prospect of marriage. Why didn't he just say, yeah, I'll take my chances. Come on. Yes. I've got needs. God's abandoned me. See, this was a test of self-leadership. Will you win within? See, he can't help that he's a slave on the outside, but he can on the inside. Hmm. It's where our greatest battles are. We think the greatest battles in the world are around us. They're not. They're within us. Win within. And in that moment, Joseph said, I cannot sin against God nor against Potiphar. And he ran. And he did the right thing. And you would think if you do the right thing, God's going to bless you, right? How many times have we said, well, I did the right thing. And what happened next? Hey, he got thrown in prison. Isn't that awesome? Hey, thanks, God. I honored you. And what did I get in response? Prison. That's so good, God. That's what I wanted. That's really what I wanted. Not. And when he got thrown in prison, he still chose to win the character battles within. And it ushered in. What I, I Just go with me on this. I think there was another major battle. It, it's win with others, but you're going to have to let me kind of walk through something here. So if you'll go with me, I'll walk through it. Let, let me just, I think, I'm going to take it down a little bit, okay? Let's just move down here. You, you with me? I think God had to take Joseph through something. He may be taking you through. See, Joseph has been a slave now, and he's the guy who's cleaning the floors. And important people are walking by, and he's dismissed. And I imagine that there had to be a moment when he thought to himself, ah, you know, I was once important. You know, even back at my dad's house, we had servants. I don't even remember their names. Maybe that's when it occurred to him how he used to treat his brothers. Maybe he had a sense that he brought some of this on himself. Maybe that's where God taught Joseph to value others. To value others. Everybody say that with me. To value others. Because listen, if you don't value people, You'll use people. And there is nothing so redefining as being put in the position of people you once dismissed. 
Maybe you're in places right now in work you don't want to be, and you feel like, how did I lose ground? Just maybe God's letting you to sit in places of people you once dismissed to form something new in you. When I was between my 21st and 26th birthdays, I worked at a church that had tremendous growth. I was just the associate pastor there, but I thought I had something to, to do with the growth. <laughs> and during those years, I would do little conferencing with other pastors of small church congregations. And I remember how I used to make snide comments in my own spirit. Man, if they would really work hard, they could grow a church. I used to look down on pastors of smaller congregations. I didn't even really see it in me. But now I'm my fourth year at 12 Stone, and we're 82 people. And the Spirit of God whispers, now let's talk about pastors leading small churches, shall we? You know, I think Joseph, before he could ever have the home run life God had for him, had to learn how to win with others. If you stay with me, I think there's another one. He had to learn to win results. And we're just jumping through his story. He had to learn how to win results. But there's something to learn here from him. Because the next major event in Joseph's life, he's now 30 years old. And Pharaoh has a vision, and it's from God. And nobody can interpret the vision. And, and they figure out that there's this young man who walks with God. His name is Joseph. So they brought Joseph up, and they said, Joseph, can you interpret the vision? And Joseph said, by the way, no. And if I were his leadership coach, I'd say, Joseph, you're in front of Pharaoh. The answer is yes. <laughs> Just say yes to Pharaoh. Who cares if he takes your head off? At least you had a shot at it. Don't say no. <laughs> and you know what he said? He said, no, but if God wants to give it to me, he can. See the dependence? See how something got formed in him? Yeah. And then God gave him the interpretation. He said, there's going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine. Now, most people think that Joseph got elevated because he interpreted the dream. I think it's more than that. Because as soon as he said that, he said, now what Pharaoh ought to do is Pharaoh ought to get a good leader and put him in charge of the seven years of feast and put margin away so during seven years of famine, we do well. Pharaoh looks around and says, I don't see anybody smarter than you. And in one day, he went from the prison to the palace, second in charge of all of Egypt. By the way, that's a very good day. <laughs> that's the day most of us are praying for. We say, God, grant that. And God gave him huge results. And you think, well, that's the end of the story. That's all you need. But that's not it. That's not enough. When he was 39 years old, nine years later, seven years of feasting, two years of famine, a group of brothers come together from a distant country and they're starving. And they kneel before the second in command of all of Egypt. And guess who it is? I love these stories. Don't you love these stories that turn? Because it's so real. It was Joseph. They had no idea. And here's how you know Joseph changed. All he had to do was this and execute them. And he exercised forgiveness. And he said, what God has allowed you to do, you did for harm, God did for good, for the saving of lives. And he realized his significance was greater. That that vision was never about Joseph being somebody, but about helping other people become who God created them to be. Oh my goodness, what a big story. And it ushers in a question. What then is God's pattern? What then is really God's pattern? How does he grow us up? 
And some of you have already figured it out. My son was 11 years old, and I was trying to figure out how to disciple him and help him come into an understanding of faith. And, and, and I didn't know how to do it with an 11-year-old in a way that would be meaningful and marking when you're 11 years old and in a way that would carry through in your adult life. I, I don't know how to do this. And, and God spoke this idea of a pattern. Now, we all kind of get the pattern here, so, so let's just follow it along together. The, the, the pattern is obviously baseball, and so I can just draw it out for you here. And in fact, what I'd like to do is just take you right over to Scripture for a moment and read from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because this is the scripture I was soaking in. It was so profound. God absolutely changed the way I see life, and this is how I think we're transformed. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, your true act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern, to the what? The pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, my goodness. Well, God laid that out. It was life-changing. It would just help me see that there is a pattern. Watch this. There's a pattern to how God grows us up, and there's a pattern to the world. Let's talk for a moment. We've already tapped on it. There is a pattern to how God grows us up. And we can just lay this pattern because baseball is a pattern. So go with me a little bit on this. We know that there are how many bases including home plate? This is a clue. How many are there? Four. Good. I'm, I'm helping. Help your neighbor who didn't catch. How did you know? <laughs> four. There's four. And it begins at home plate, and then you have to cross over which bases in what order? First, second, third and home because the order of the bases matter and if you skip a base you're called out and what do they call it when you run to the wrong base little league <laughs> yeah that's the only time it's funny when a four-year-old hits the ball and runs the third base everybody laughs but they don't do that in the pros <laughs> and there's a reason see there is an order and the order matters not only in baseball but it matters in life and it all begins at home plate where you connect with your creator see everything in life does not begin and end with us it begins and ends with God home plate where your significance is in him and you grow up by becoming more dependent on him where you get on God's purpose by God's power some of you some of you listening Maybe asking yourself, I'm not even sure I buy in. But you still have to answer this question. Where did you come from? Why are you here? And where are you going? What does life begin with and end with? And as you settle that, if you come into relationship with God, most people get excited and think, oh, now everything's going to change. God's going to change everything. I have the power of God in my life. Yay! That's awesome. Yes, he does. And then they begin to pray. Oh, dear God, change my circumstances. Oh, change my spouse. I had no idea how much baggage they had when I married them. Change them. <laughs> Help my kids. They got a lot of the spouse in them. And God, if you would, change my finances. And, change. and they start praying. And you know what? The very first evidence of the power of God being in your life is not that he changes everything around you, but everything where? Within you. That's why you have to run to first base first. First base is all about character. It is the personal base. That is where you win within. And so God is going to help you link with the one who created you and then help you win from the inside out. And the very next thing when you get right with God and right with yourself, 
then you can get right with others. We call it community. It's the, it's the people base. In fact, let me put it like this. What's the first and greatest command? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Isn't that interesting? Love God, love yourself, love others, love what you do, and do all for the glory of God. What if that's God's pattern for how he grows you up? Hang on. If that's it, then what's the pattern of the world? The world runs the bases backwards. We live in a performance-based society that runs to third-base competence, the performance base. And when we wake up, the first thing we do is we think about what I got to get done. And we chase success. And when you do, you end up cheating. Watch this. You end up cheating the other bases. To chase success, we end up cheating relationships, and therefore we don't have time for marriage and family. We don't invest in it like it needs to work. We cheat our own character. And we say, well, I just do that to get ahead. And we cheat our relationship with God. And we end up missing out on the home run life. That's where Louis Ramos found himself. Here's the rest of his story. So he started talking about the trade-offs that we make. The fact that in a performance-driven culture, we are driven to run to third base, but that very often what that results in is sacrificing relationships on second base and integrity on first base. And it just hit me. It hit me like, like a ton of bricks. And I thought to myself, this is my life. I'm destroying my relationships with my wife and my children, and it's costing me, and it's costing my kids, and this is going to have repercussions on the rest of our lives. I thought, you know, I've been looking for this reboot. I've been looking for this fresh start. The reality is, is that God is offering me a fresh start to do something with the life that he gave me, with the family that he gave me, with the wife that he gave me from my youth. And I'm a fool if I think that starting over somebody else is going to turn into anything better because the person breaking this is me. I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I talked to my wife and I let her know, and she was very skeptical, to say the least. By God's mercy, she prayed hard about it, and what she heard from the Lord was, you don't have permission to get out. So she took me back. PK remarried us in the spring of 2001 with all of our children and, uh, and our closest friends. That running of the bases in a different pattern started a domino effect that didn't just transform my marriage and, and my children and, and our family. It transformed everything. It transformed my career. It transformed my business. You know, it transformed everything about me. So that's what God does. Like in baseball, you get a fresh start. You get another at bat. 
And God has the power to transform your life if you would do life by God's pattern. And when you do, you get something that the Bible calls favor. That's what Joseph experienced on that day when he went from the the prison to the palace. One of my most favorite experiences of God's favor, which I take the definition from the book of Joshua where it says God fights for you. It's what I think favor is when God fights for you. Is that our church, 12 Stone, was trying to go to the next level. Notice how I use that so effectively. And we're trying to get to the next level as a church. And we're out of money and out of space, and we were growing, and God was doing gracious things. And I felt like God put on my heart to, to go after this piece of land that was, well, unaffordable. And by God's grace, the things I couldn't do, I ended up at a golf course with the man who owned that piece of land. He lived on it for 35 years. His name was Doug. And so eventually I got the courage. I sat down with Doug. I said, Doug, I think your place would make a great place for a church. And like, like he was an elderly gentleman, and like you take a little puppy and just pat him on the butt and say, move along. Now, that's kind of what he did with me. He says, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. You couldn't afford it. I said, I didn't say I wanted to pay for it. <laughs> I just said, be a great place for a church to change people's lives. We did this for months on end until one day Doug said to me, I think it would be a great place for a church. He said, I've settled a price. I'd like to meet with your board. And when he came to meet with the board, I was sitting there with the board, and all the board members were sitting around. I said, guys, listen, I think God's going to do a miracle. I think Doug's going to walk in and give us a million-dollar piece of land, free and clear. And they all just looked at me. In fact, one of the guys looked at the rest, and he went, Does anybody want with the pastor smoking? (laughs) Now, don't sit there like you don't know what I just did. Some of you are like, what did he just do? It it is not because we do this on our board, okay? (laughs) The point is, when you, all he was saying is this, you're high, meaning you're out of your mind. Doug walked in, sat down, and after sharing his heart, he didn't even go to our church. He went to another church. He said, I believe God's going to use this church to change more lives in this county than any other church. I feel God told me that. He said, so he turned around the deed, signed it, and handed it over. The land is yours, free and clear. And I went, now does anybody want what the pastor's smoking? And it literally happened that way. Now, here's the reason to tell the story. So that some of you who do this would feel included. No, no. The reason for telling this story is this. So that you would know there is a favor of God greater than anything you can produce. How are you going to run the basis of life? And I want to pray over you. As you bow your heads, how are you going to run the basis of life? God, some of us would confess right now. We've been running the basis backwards. There are things getting cheated There are things you would do for us that you're not free to do because we're off your pattern. Some of us had never had this thought before, but we'll confess, God, that's me. And for all who are willing, we would say, dear God, would you teach me how to do life by your design? And would you grant your favor over my life? Let this be your healing gift over us, I pray in Jesus' name.